Song of Solomon. There, there is a ton of debate surrounding the meaning of this book. I'll, I'll just say that up front. Uh, some believe that it is a picture of Jesus and the church. If that is true, there is zero exegetical justification for it. The Bible never says that. No New Testament writer ever says that. So, that's a leap. Some believe it is a uh, picture of Yahweh and Israel. Again, same thing. If that is true, there's no exegetical justification. I mean, the Bible just does not say either of those two things. Um, today, though we can make applications both of those ways, we can also make some applications relative to our own relationship with God, I think, in, in some of this. We are going to stay at surface level in this book, which means it is going to be the ideal relationship, the ideal romance, the ideal relationship between a husband and a wife. Not perfect. Jacob has already told us that that did not exist. Um, Sort of burst our bubble a little bit. I sort of thought his would be more challenging myself, didn't (laughs) y'all? No, no, that was very good. But ideal is a good word. It's not perfect, but this is, this is the ideal. The, part of the issue, I think, when you read the Song of Solomon is you just don't know what it is. It is not a narrative. That means it doesn't, it's not chronological. It doesn't start with a story and work its way through. It is, a, it is poetry. Now, I thought about just getting Charlie to explain to you all what that was because he is the house poet, but... In poetry, a lot of times you just get pictures along the way of, of things. Think about like a, like a mosaic, or if you're old enough, think about a music video. You know, it's not really one chronological scene, it's just various scenes shown along the way. And a lot of times in poetry, what, whatever's in the middle, everything sort of revolves around that. That is exactly what's going on here. The thing in the middle of the Song of Solomon is the wedding. So everything sort of revolves around a marriage relationship. Everything. That that means there's nothing dirty here. Obviously, this is going to be very vivid at times. We are not going to stretch that. But the Song of Solomon is not pornography. Our, Our... world has destroyed the picture that God gives us in His Word of a, an intimate relationship between a husband and wife. This is, not, this is not pornography. This is actually lovely if we take it that way. We're going to try to work through this entire book. Uh, for those of you that are worried about time, we have extra time scheduled in today. I do not think we'll have any problem getting out today. But I think this book is greatly... Uh, beneficial for us. Your, your Bible, if you're reading along in an ESV, has speaker identifications at certain place. It may say he, it may say she, it may say, I forget what it says, they or friends or companions or something like that. Those are not inspired. So whoever wrote this book did not tell us. Those are inserted by the translators. And if you were to read a different translation, they may have different headings in a few Places, but they're very helpful. Most of them are very, very obvious. So, verse 1, chapter 1 begins The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. 
We actually don't know if this is Solomon's own story or if this is Solomon's favorite love story. It could be interpreted both ways. I would think, if I had to guess, it is Solomon's favorite romance. It's not his own. And I'll show you why when we get to the back of the book and Solomon's actually mentioned. You'll see he's actually not the main actor here in this story. So the female... She begins in verse 2. And remember now, everything revolves around a, a marriage. That is the center of the book. That is what it's about. So this is a wife. Verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run The king has brought me into his chambers. You're going to see all throughout this poem that they praise one another constantly. This could be number 11 in Jacob's list. We need to learn to praise our spouse. If this is the ideal romance, then that is important. You know, praise can be anything from... You know, you cooked a good meal till you look really good today or whatever. But those things, are, those things are greatly important. We cannot delve into everything here. If, if we were preaching through this book, it would take weeks. We're hopefully going to get through it in, a, in an hour or so. But I'll just show you, like, the second line, your love is better than wine. What, what does that mean? What is it saying about love? What does wine do? Make Sir? Make you marry. Make you marry? Yeah, makes you marry. Makes you marry. Wine is actually intoxicating. And that's what she's saying. Your love is better than that. Like, true love is intoxicating. It takes you over and it makes you marry. It makes you happy. Um, She says in the third verse, Your name is oil poured out. In, In the biblical times, a name is greatly important because that speaks of someone's reputation. This means that she actually respects him. She respects his character. So men, be someone she can respect. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Probably in this poem, she's not speaking of King Solomon so much as she is speaking of her husband as her king. Uh, Even in marriages in this day and age when this was written, husband and wife, bride and groom, they actually played king and queen for a while. I mean, that's, that's how marriages were set up. Just think of walking down an aisle and what that pictures. That's a royal entry of the bride. So it's a, it's a king and queen romance. So it's not Solomon most likely. Her husband is her king. And then you have others. We will exult and rejoice in you We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. That last line could possibly be the man that is speaking, though it's listed as others here. So their relationship is not a secret relationship, right? This community is involved. This is nothing where an unmarried couple is secretly living and doing things they shouldn't do. This is a very public relationship and the community is in, involved, and this relationship influences the community. We're playing right off some of the things that, that 
Jacob said. And there's no jealousy of the friends here. Their relationship is very healthy out in the community. I hope that it, when Wendy and I are around you, you can see that we, we, are, we have a healthy relationship. I hope you feel that. Well, that's how people should feel about your relationship as husbands and wives. Rightly do they love you. This probably is the man. This is one of the places that the translators may have missed it. In their defense, that's part of verse 4, so splitting it would have been difficult. Rightly do they love you. But you're going to see this praise a lot from both of them. Uh, Stephen Clark had this to say about praise. Praise is the air that intimacy breathes and without which passion is soon lost. That's, I think that's pretty good. Uh, intimacy is the air, I mean, praise is the air that intimacy breathes, and without which passion is soon lost. We should be praising one another in our relationship. All right, let's read verses 5 through 7. She says, I'm very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the key, or they made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I've not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flock of your companions? So there's two things going on here, one in verses 5 and 6, one in verse 7. In verse 5 and 6, you get this insight into her heart. She has what we would call today insecurity about something. She's insecure with her looks. This is not uncommon for... Uh, girls versus guys. Most guys don't spend nearly as much time, Jacob probably exception, but most guys don't spend nearly as much time working on their hair and stuff as, as girls do. This is normal. This is natural. She's been out in the sun. Her brothers made her work in the field. And the sun has come down on her. You know, we, we spend loads of money and time trying to get a tan. Back in their day, it was just the opposite. They didn't want to be out in the sun because that meant you were a worker. You were a lower class person. She is bothered by the fact that she is dark and she asked them not to judge her harshly because she was made to work in the fields here. So there's this, there's this insecurity. This will come back around um, a little bit later. And then it says here, tell me you whom my soul loves where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. She doesn't know where he is. She, he's gone away. For whatever reason, this this gives us something in her heart about how she feels when he's gone. She misses him. She's still insecure. And when it says, for why should I be like one who veils herself? Literally, that's talking about a prostitute. So she feels like a prostitute that's been left by herself. I mean, she's got these hurt feelings when he's away. Guys, I mean, you know, you need to consider. Don't go golfing, hunting, fishing every free moment of your time because your wife is hurt when you're away. She's bothered by it. I mean, that's, this is precisely what's going on. Is she overreacting? I mean, maybe a little bit, but this is normal. I mean, this is not abnormal. The, the point here is she is sharing every bit of her feeling with him of how she feels. 
He responds kindly. Not, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. That's not how he, that's not how he responds. Verse 8, If you do not know, O oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pastor your young goats beside the shepherd's tent, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. So this is, this is gentle. Is she emotional? Well, maybe. I, I mean, women can be more emotional than guys sometimes. Jacob's probably another exception. There's a lot of exceptions to that. But, but uh, he admitted that. He confessed that earlier. Um, but necess- he, he doesn't say, you're just getting emotional. Like, he responds very, very gently, very kindly. He understands her desire for him, and he agrees with it to, to a degree. And he tells her, you are the most beautiful among women. And he, he explains to her how to find him. And then, and then he gives her this, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. And I know these are different for us, and we're going to get into some really strange ones here in a bit. But remember, this guy's a shepherd. I mean, he is, he is giving you things through his eyes. This is, this is good. This is, this is praise. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about that. That was terrible. The, the, uh, but the point is, a, a, a mare among Pharaoh's stallions, there is a time when horses aren't able to control themselves enough, right? This is, this is very, uh, I, I want to use the word erotic, but that feels wrong uh, in, a, in a church setting. But that's really what it is. I, I mean, he, he is saying, I can't control myself when I'm around you. This is... This is the type of language that is, survives in a, in a healthy relationship. You ever heard that term, flattery will get you everywhere? Well, I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some truth to that. The friends say, we'll make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. We'll, just, we'll sort of see their supporting comments as we work through here. Their questions that lead into what these two lovers have to say. She responds then in, in, a, in a very similar way that that he did. You'll see this playful banter back and forth between them. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. I'm not going to explain all of these spices, but these are different spices and things. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. So she, she dreams of being alone with him in this setting. I mean, I, I know this, you don't think about talking about this type of stuff in church, but this is God's inspired Word. So this is, this is healthy. This is what a healthy relationship looks like. like. She's expressing how she feels to him. He's expressing how he feels. He responds, verse 15, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Like he, he longs just to look into her eyes. He loves her. And he lets her know it. He lets her know it. You know, oftentimes in a, in a relationship, like Jacob was talking about, one talked and one doesn't, like we knew Jacob did, and wondered how Hannah could, possibly. <laughs> but 
usually one needs to hear I love you more than the other one needs to hear it. And if you're the one that doesn't need to hear it as much, you should be saying it a lot because the other one probably needs to hear it. She, she responds to his... You know, he says, Behold, you're beautiful, my love. She says in verse 16, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. There's this... There's this feeling of being out in nature together. That's, that's, you're going to see that as we work through here. Like they look at this, this, uh, this time of being together out in nature together as this special time. And they may, she may just be referring to something at home, but there's this vision of romance in all of this. She, she sees herself, though, really, really modestly. Like verse... Two, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. I know we sing the song Lily of the Valley and, and we have a completely different spin on it than what is said here. This is not about Jesus. She's clearly saying this in a very humble manner. She said, look, I'm just a lily in the valleys. Like a valley's full of lilies. She's saying I'm nothing special. I'm just common. He says, verse 2, you are as a lily among brambles or thorns. Like you're, you're like one lily amongst thorns. Well, that's a completely different picture than what she painted. She thinks she's just common and normal. He says, no, you are a lily among brambles, thorns. So is my love among the young women. So he sees her above all others. Like that, that's, that's how we should view our spouse. That's husbands. That's how you should view your your wife, she's, she's precious. The Bible has a lot to say about a man who finds a good wife. She responds, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow. His fruit was sweet to my taste. So she, she returns this praise. And you know, she, she had talked earlier about how insecure she was in her looks. You know, don't, don't stare at me because I'm... My son's scorched. Don't, don't do that. She's insecure. But here she delights at sitting in his shadow. See, she is gaining this... this uh, uh, the insecurity is going away. Let me put it that way. She's becoming more and more secure by him. Like Men, that's what, that's what your wife should be more secure now than she was before. He brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. So think about a banner. I mean, a banner is something that pronounces, hey, an army's coming. Or, you know, if you're a parade, you know, somebody may lead a banner down. This is very public. This means she is, she believes that his love is publicly displayed for all to see. That doesn't mean you're doing too much public affection or anything. But, you know, he may hold her hand or, or whatever. Uh, apparently, we hit Jacob again, but the, uh, it's amazing. Maybe Jacob should have done this. I don't know. But she, she doesn't doubt that he loves her when they're out in public among people in the community. Like His banner over me was love, sustains me with raisins, refreshes me with apples. I am sick with love. Again, that's similar to love, true love is like wine. You know, she's, she's intoxicated with love. His, his left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. Obviously a very intimate picture that is painted there. And then she says to the friends, to the community, 
I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And, and the best way that I can explain that is she's saying, look, this is our time, and she's hanging a do not disturb sign on the door. She's just saying, uh, we, we've got our own intimacy to handle here. Leave us alone until we are ready. So husbands and wives do need alone time. That gets harder when you got kids, I, I realize that, but you, you need time for yourself because you need to, you know, one of the things that's been popular to say is you need to date your spouse at times. I mean, and that's good. I mean, you do. You need to go out and enjoy one another. She goes on, verse, verse 8, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through lattice. She, she, she describes what we might call just a, a playful tease on his part. And she, she cannot wait to see him again. She is looking forward to him coming. Verse 10, My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away for behold, the winter is past, the rain is gone, over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing is come, the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land, the fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance, arise my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So he, he, he invites her, she's repeating something he said here, but he he invites her away for what we might describe as just a romantic getaway. He says to her, hey, let's go out in spring. By the way, everything in this poem happens in springtime. Nothing happens in the winter. Never is this relationship seen to be cold. It is always warm. It is, it is springtime, that time of the year. Continuing on with what she says he says, verse 14, O oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And remember, these are things he has said to her. These are things she's holding in her heart. Guys, this means that's what she wants to hear, right? He longs to see her. He longs to hear her. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. She says, catch the little foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are, is in blossom, or, or in blossoms. He doesn't want their getaway to be, to be spoiled. Maybe this is about some conflicts in life that you know, she expects him to handle. Conflicts are coming in marriage, but they need to be worked out. And so this is, this is about that. Now this little phrase in verse 16 is going to be used two more times in chapter 6 and chapter 7. This is a, a very important phrase in this song. My beloved is mine and I am his. So they, they belong to one another in a, in a very intimate Way and I don't mean you know sexually. I just mean relationally. They belong to one another. She feels that. He feels that. My beloved is mine. He is no one else's. She is no one else's. Mine and mine alone. This is special. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadows flee. 
Return, my beloved. Be like a gazelle. Quick. Or a young stag on the cleft mountain. So she, she wants him to hurry up and, and come to her. Like this, listen, I like my alone time. I like to get up in the morning, but what the, this is a great time, thing about my alone time is when Wendy don't want to be up anyway. <laughs> right, so I, I, have, I have, you know, hours of alone time while she, no, not hours, but well, I guess two, yeah, hours of alone time. But look, you, you should really desire to come together again. I mean, you don't want to be away from your spouse for long periods of time. I, like, I didn't get married for Winnie to go on vacation. I, I got married to be together. I like, I'm a home person. And I'm not saying my marriage is nearly as perfect as, as these two over here, Amen. what Jacob was describing earlier, but I, I don't like Wendy to go away from the house. She went to a trip several years ago to Boston, and I mean, I just about lost my mind. No, she'll tell you. I, I'll admit it. I will admit it. I, I took off work and went to the airport meter. I mean, it just, I, I didn't get married to be a part. Like, that's not what, and that's exactly what this is about. So, Wendy, I'm doing my part, baby. You're doing good. And thank you, thank you. I don't know that she thought so when I showed up at the airport. <laughs> Chapter 3. Let's not crucify Todd right here. Baby. Chapter 3. On my bed by night. So what, what is she saying? This is a dream. This is a dream that, that she had. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found it not. So you might found him not. So you might say this is a, this is a nightmare. She's looking for her husband in this dream. She can't find him. I will rise now, go about the city and the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. You know, she's, she's obviously struggling with, with doubts that are even causing her to dream these things. The watchman found me the, as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? I mean, she, she has this concern that things aren't as she hoped them to be. Maybe he doesn't love me like I think he does. Is that normal? I think we've all probably thought that. Before she's just this is this is an ideal relationship, but it's not without you know anxiety. She she has that. Scarcely had I passed him. This dream ends up okay though. Four, verse four. Scarcely had I passed them, the watchman in the city, when I found him whom my soul loved. So she finds him. I held him and would not let him go until I'd brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who. Conceive me. So, in this particular culture, the mother would have obviously been very close to a daughter because they would have spent so much time at home together. Uh, you know, it's not like school and work pulled them apart. This not that culture here. So, her mother would have been very close, almost like a best friend. And to bring him into her mother's house shows this this very this very close relationship, not only with her but with her family here. She says again, I, I jury you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What is that like, putting what on the door? Do not disturb. Do not disturb. She found him. Okay. Now, everything is right. 
Well, so here as we begin in chapter 3, verse 6, running all the way through part of chapter 4 is this marriage and the, the marriage uh, feast afterwards. We'll see that. And this is the center of the book. This is where everything happens. And this is what everything revolves around. So this is not any type of dirty relationship. This is, this is biblical here. Verse 6, what is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords, an expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a chariot, uh, a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. So this is clearly a wedding scene. And look, we've all been to weddings, uh, been in weddings, and there, it is a glorious scene even today when they start to pray, uh, play the bridal march and everybody stands up and turns around. I mean, we still base weddings today on this royal scene. And it's not shocking that she's talking about Solomon and how beautiful this is. This does not mean Solomon is the groom, but this is a, a royal event. And whoever the groom is has... has has made this carriage. There's some debate as to whether the groom entered in this magnificent way or he made this for her to enter. It really doesn't matter. The point is that the the wife is the queen, the husband is the king, and this beautiful wedding ceremony happens here. His mother made this crown for him. This is not a, a king's crown. This is a wedding day crown. Look, marriage is a covenant. Is a covenant between two people in front of God. And that's what's pictured. And this, this elaborate description suggests that this is something not normal. There is something very unique about this relationship between these two people. We don't, it's not like you could go to ten weddings a day. They, they, don't, they happen a lot if you live in a populated Place, but they don't happen a lot relative to the number of people that live in an area, right? They're, they're, they're rare. And so this elaborate description tells us this is rare, and it's very, very important. Verse 1 of chapter 4, he speaks. By the way, this is, this is what we would call the wedding feast. This is after the wedding itself. And it was normal back then for instead of taking toasts from friends, the groom would stand up and talk to his wife and the wife would stand up and talk to her husband. They would praise one another again. If you're uncomfortable with praising your spouse, you're going to be uncomfortable with this because this is, that's what all this is about. So this is him speaking. Listen to this. And before we read it, let me remind you again, he is a shepherd. This is his world. He is going to uh, talk about her hair being like a flock of goats or something like that. This is not, this, to him, this is not comical. It would be like a race car driver saying to his wife, 
Your love is smoother than any race car I've ever driven. You, you make my heart race faster than any car I've ever been able to drive. Like He's just speaking in his language here. He is a shepherd. This is the language we would expect from him. This is high language. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. He's not saying she's not a sinner, but he is saying how much he loves her here. So there was this wasp, W-A-S-F, This was part of the wedding feast when they described one another and what it was that they love. And you notice he begins at the top of her head and he works his way down to her feet. And he says, I love everything about you from top to bottom. He is in awe of his wife. He believes God has given him the greatest gift. Apart from salvation, of course, he believes God has given him the greatest gift. He longs to love her. There's there's passion and desire that is good in the right setting here. He desires to go away with her. He says, I will go to the mountains of myrrh, the hill of frankincense. You know, he he wants to have biblical passion. And this is is good. Again, this is not pornographic. This This is biblical love. He says, verse 8, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana." from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, so he wants her close to him, from the mountains of leopards. Listen to this, verse 9. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Now he's not marrying his sister. This is not Arkansas. He, he, He feels this closeness though to her. It's not so much spiritual, even though, as Jacob described, that is good. This, though, is he feels like he's known her all his life, like a sister would be known to her spouse. This is his sister, but it is his bride. You have captivated my heart. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes with the jewel of your necklace. He's saying, you drive me crazy, in a good way. Not in, a, not in a bad way. In a good way. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride? How much better is your love than wine? You know, God said it's not good for man to be alone. He made a, a helper for him that was comparable to him. That's what Genesis says. Listen, he feels like they are going to share all of life together. There is no 
pretending here. The fragrance of your oils are better, uh, 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 and the fragrance of your oils are better than any spice. He's not pretending. This is how he feels. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and fra- the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden lot is my sister, my bride. He actually has respect for her integrity. She is pure at this wedding feast here. He's not, he didn't pick up, you know, Gomer, <laughs> Hosea's wife, and he's not marrying her. He is marrying someone who's, who's uh, it, it says here, her garden has been locked. Just, you know, she's a virgin. He, he, he loves this about her. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. And he, he is clearly looking in anticipation for what is coming later after this wedding. I mean, there's no doubt. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. I mean, all of these are exotic Spices. They weren't necessarily what you could grow in Israel. They're what they might get from Egypt or some other exotic place. And, and that's what he views her love as, something exotic, something very special. Now verse 16, though the ESV does not notice it, is possibly her speaking. Probably is. Awake north wind and come, O south wind, Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. So he's saying, your love is like a garden to me. And she says, garden's open. The garden's open. That's, that's what she's saying. She says again, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I mean, obviously this is, this is a vivid picture of the wedding night. You know, He says, verse 1, chapter 5, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. You keep, you keep getting this closeness of relationship between my sister, my bride. This is not, she's not just property to him. That's not, that's not at all what's going on. This is not just about attractiveness and a sexual exploit. That is not why he married her. He married her because she is special to him. My sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh and my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey, I drank my wine with my milk. This is speaking of the consummation of the marriage. And the community, the community supports. Eat, friends, drink, be drunk with, with love, right? This is, this, is, this is support from family. You need friends and family around you that support you like this, not friends and family that pull you apart. By the way, friends and family, we need to support those that are around us who are married. I mean, we should be that. Okay, so the, the, the wedding feast has, has ended and we move back into normal life. And remember, the, the middle of the book is the wedding, so everything sort of flows from that poetically. They can't stay in bed forever. She's probably dreaming again. Verse 2 says, I slept, but my heart was awake, so it's probably a dream. A sound, my beloved is knocking. I open, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. She believes that he loves her. 
For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of night. She's awoken, obviously, from a very deep sleep in, in, this, in this dream. She says, I put off my garment. How could I put it on? I bathed my feet. How could I soil them? That's like Todd trying to wake Wendy up in the middle of the night to go make me a sandwich. Like she's like, I'm, I am dead tired. But verse 4 says, My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled. So yes, she's woken from a deep sleep, but man, when she gets a glimpse of him being near her, she revives. Like she wakes up really quickly. So I, when I ask for a sandwich at 2 in the morning, I expect... No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I rose... If I don't think I'd ever do that. I rose to open to my beloved, my beloved, and my hands drip with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the boat. So she comes to herself. She's excited. She goes to let him in, but she says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My heart failed um, excuse me, my soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called, but he gave no answer. So we had this, we had this perfect picture of the marriage in you know, what we just studied in that passage. And now they're, they're what we might call just out of sync. He knocks. She's barely awake. He sticks his hand through. She revives. She goes and opens the door. He's gone. They're just sort of out of sync. If you've been married for any length of time, you know you just go through days, periods of time where you're just out of sync. And that's what she's describing here. This does not mean that their marriage is on the brink of collapse. What it tells us is even in the ideal marriage, there are times that you are out of sync. The watchman found me, verse 7. They went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Now again, this is probably a dream. But in this dream or this nightmare, she feels like she has lost his protection. Sort of like when she was a kid and her brothers mistreated her and sent her out into the field. Well, now she's married and she's lost the protection of, of her husband. She, she feels forsaken to some degree. You know, this, is, this is normal. This is normal. It's not abnormal to feel like you've lost some spark. She feels it here. She's, she's dreaming about this. Stephen Clark again writes, Love is not a science. In other words, it's not something you just figure out and do. It's not, it's not a science. I, this is one of my favorite lines in his commentary. Love is not a science. It's a passion. Relationships are not learned in a lab. They are discovered in the storm. End quote. That is, that is exactly right. Well, she says, verse 8, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I'm sick with love. Love never gives up. She's not giving up on him. She still wants to find him. And she's intent on finding him. They ask, what is your beloved more than any other beloved? So this is one of those lines where it just sort of you know, draws her to praise Him more. They say, what is your beloved more than any other beloved? Oh, beautiful among, oh, most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you adjure us? Like, well, why do you care? Here's her answer. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. This is similar to the description of King David when he was young. You know, David was a very handsome man. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves 
beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. Oh, this is just, this is beautiful. This is beautiful poetry. To her, nobody compares to this man. So we, we saw that with him. That's how he feels. He has voiced it. He has praised her. He has said she's unlike any other. And now she says he is unlike any other. Look, this, by the way, men, this is what it means to be manly for your wife to feel this way. This is my beloved and this is my friend. By the way, this is her, my sister, my bride. Same thing. She's just saying sort of the reverse. He is, he is her lover. This is my beloved. But he is her friend too. This is a lifelong companion that we are doing life with. It's, it's important to manage these sides of a relationship. It's not just passion. It's also living life. And in the most intimate way. I, I, I'm sure those of you that are, that are married know you, you talk to your spouse about things you can't talk to anybody else about and shouldn't talk to anybody else about, right? Well, the community says, Where is your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? So she said, He's everything to me. And they said, We will help you find him. That's the kind of community that you need. She says, My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens, to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She is confident. She is secure. He grazes among the lilies. So they are back in step. They were out of sync. Now they're back in step, right? He has gone to collect these things for them and their relationship. He, verse 4, he says, you are as beautiful as Terz of my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. So there is this, this reciprocal praise back and forth. And again, this is his world. We're going to get a, these odd compliments, but he means these in, in the grandest of way. He says in verse 5, Turn away your eyes from me, not because he don't want to see you. No, that, just the opposite. He cannot control himself. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. I, I lose control. I melt. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of, of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes. I don't know how you say that word. That have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Look, she... She drives him crazy. He never tires of praising her and she never tires of praising him. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Listen to this. This is, this is sort of speaking about what Solomon has going on. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. That's what Solomon has going on. But listen to what he says. 
My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. She is unique. This is why I don't think Solomon is is the main character here. This is a very monogamous relationship. He said Solomon can have whatever he wants. I've got all I need in her. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, they praised her. Probably verse 10 is the community again. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? By the way, those who are in love are beautiful to outsiders. They see something special in that relationship. She responds, I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of to look at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. So she she has this dream of being with him even when she's Alone, like I, I lost my thoughts. I just went away to this relationship. The community again, verse thirteen. Return, return, O Shulamite. This is the first time we hear her called Shulamite. It says it again in this verse, and it's the only time it says it. We really don't know exactly what this means, but commentators tend to believe this is just the female form of Solomon. So he's. Her Solomon, he's her king, and so maybe she is just declaring that she is his queen here. Who uh, Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Why should you look upon the Shulamite, he says. Maybe she says, we're not sure, as upon a dance before two armies. So she, she is not something to be enjoyed by everyone. Like Other people shouldn't look at her in lust. She is for him. Don't don't look at her in a lustful manner. Joy for him is why she lives. The same is true from him to her. We've seen that here. Verse 1 of chapter 7. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. Remember, so there's this dance talked about here. So she's pictured here as dancing for him. Right? He's going to describe her just like he did in the wedding feast, but there he described her from the head down. Here it's a dance, so he starts from the ground up. This is, it makes sense. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed, uh, mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. That's not in a bad way. Encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel. Your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. Look, he adores her. She is his treasure. And this is, this is not crude like our society has painted this picture. This is, this is royal. This is, this is beautiful. 
Verse 6, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Obviously, this, this has sexual undertones. Uh, I will climb the palm tree, lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breast be like clusters of the vine and your scent of, and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wines. She, she intoxicates him. I mean, he loses control because he knows God has given him a great gift. So he says, your mouth is like the best wine. She says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved. She is happy to be his, right? Gliding over lips and teeth, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. She she grew up in this environment where her brothers mistreated her and they sent her out to the field and they worked her in the sun, but now she knows she has value. Guys, your wife should know she has value. She knows she's valued here. I am my beloved and his desire is for me. She feels special. Verse 11, Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields, lodge in the villages, let us go out early into the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. So there is this reciprocal nature of love. He desires her. She says, I'm yours. I'm yours. The mandrakes give forth fragrance. Mandrakes were an aphrodisiac considered to be back in those days you you recall the same thing happened with Jacob's two wives where they battled over mandrakes the mandrakes give forth fragrance and beside our doors are all choice fruits new as well as old which I've laid up for you oh my beloved by the way women she takes the lead here in some of these things so that that's important to see this is very reciprocal This is not a guy chasing and her finally giving in. This is a guy chasing and her chasing back. I mean, this is they are they are very open in 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 how they feel about one another physically and verbally. All right, last chapter. Real I think we're gonna make it. Verse 1, chapter 8. Oh, that you were like a brother to me. So she's not saying, I wish you were my brother. No, this is not about Arkansas. She's saying, I wish you were like a brother. In other words, you know, this is, this is not about incest. This is about lifelong intimacy. I wish I had known you even longer. I wish that I had known you my entire life because you know, God has given you to me and our relationship is a beautiful thing. I wish that I hadn't waited till after law school or whatever. Just a <laughs> random thought that passed through my mind here. Oh, that you're like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast, if I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. We talked about that earlier. She who used to teach me, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate, sexual undertones, pretty explicit. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. What did she say again? I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you stir, that you not stir up or awaken love till it pleases. What is that on the door? Do not disturb. That's what she's saying. I'm giving myself to him. He is mine. I am his. Friends, most likely, are verse 5. Who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? So you see why that's probably the friend. She 
She responds, uh, Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. This is public. This is like we think of a wedding ring. She wants, she wants that seal on his arm to be something that everybody sees. She wants to be known as his wife. For love is as strong as death. That sounds so terrible, doesn't it? Like, wow, he's describing love and death. No, no, no. Death is being compared in power to love. How many of us can overcome death? Nobody. Not unless Jesus comes back, right? And this says love is just that strong. Love is as strong as death. Not it's deadly, but it's as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire, like the very flame of Yahweh, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. This is the climax of the book right here. This is, this is what we are finally getting to see. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. You can't stop true love. Not people that are committed like this poem shows. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he'd be truly despised. In other words, to, to trade love for anything makes you an idiot. Love is worth more than any amount of money, any 401k, any possessions. True love, husband and wife, is worth far more than that. Probably her brothers speak in verse 8. We have a little sister. She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day she's spoken of? So they're, they're looking back in time. If she is a wall, if she's been chased, we will build her a battlement of silver. But if she's been a door, if she has not been chased, we will enclose her with boards of silver. So her brother's still seeking to control her in this flashback in time. She defends herself. She says, I was a wall. I was chased. So this is how we know all of this happens within the bounds of a, of, of a wedding, like we've tried to say. I was a wall. My breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. So she demands that she was sexually pure, and she knows she has satisfied her man. Solomon had a vineyard at Bel Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit 200. So this is why I say Solomon is not the leader here. He is actually not at all the hero. He, his relationship with these thousands is being compared with her relationship with the one. The one is enough. His relationship with her, one, is enough. My one is better than your thousands, you see. Verse 13, He who dwells in the gardens with companions listening for your voice... Let me hear it. So here she's gone. I mean, she's gone to her garden, whatever. He, he, he wants her to return. Love always longs for more love. Verse 14, make haste, 
my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on, on the mountains of spices. So, so gentle, compassionate, come on, she says, I am ready. I know that is a long lesson, but a quick run through a book that you probably have given precisely five minutes to in your life. Let me just close with a few, a few things here. First, one, 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. That, that is just what you see here. They had their ups and downs in this poem. Everything isn't perfect, but love always wins out. Love never fails. But love is a work in progress, right? Sometimes he's away, sometimes she's away, sometimes she's insecure, sometimes she's very secure, sometimes he wonders what she's thinking, he wonders what she's thinking. All of that's going on here. Love is a work in progress, but love never fails. In this poem, guys, the man is anything but domineering. He is not. He's very supportive. She is praiseworthy in his eyes. In fact, I would dare say the goal of their relationship was to outdo one another in praising each other. Right? How great would that be if that's what we did? Pursuing stuff in this world will never make you happy. Remember what was said? If you traded everything you had for love, you're an idiot. Love is better. That's the point. Here's the key words. We'll close with this. These are the things you need in a, in, in a happy, monogamous marriage. Respect. You saw this all through the poem. Respect. Praise. Admiration. Commitment. Friendship. Passion. And value. 